Welcome to the latest episode of the Brush Builders Union podcast. I'm your host and general president of the Brush Builders Union, Simon Berman. This month, I'm joined by the man, the myth, the legend, Ross Thompson. Ross, how are you doing? Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Simon. Yeah, man. Uh, I'm doing well, man. It's, I mean, like, as, as, as good as we can be in the still uh, March 2020 kind of damn right, but... Yeah, it's uh, just gone on and on, but uh, it's, it's a little different now. It definitely is, right? So uh, we've definitely been, like, we've been gathering, we've been doing some stuff. So it's been overall, uh, I'm doing good, right? It's, I mean, Fernando's going to get deep right away. Like, very thankful that I'm able to hang out with friends and do things and just remember why that's important, right? So, yeah, for sure. Good. For sure. So, um, as by way of introductions, um, you know, I, I, I've been to have you on the podcast for a long time because I, but I realize the time is now because I think. Of my last three or four guests, maybe three of them have mentioned you as somebody who is, you know, um, critical to their their <laughs> how they know people in the industry or how they got started in the industry or you know how their pro- word about their product got out. And I realize that you're you're one of these movers and shakers in the miniatures gaming world who isn't necessarily somebody he's really aware of, unless you know you go to conventions and you know Ross, um, if that makes any kind of sense. But yeah. <laughs> No, I, that's that's awesome to hear. Yeah, you've got some. You've had some great guests. I, I love the podcast and, and giving it a listen, and uh, it's it's really interesting, right? Because the industry has so many people. And like I know we've been in it since like back in the Iron Kingdom days, you know, and high adventure wearing all that stuff. But uh, it's you think about it, and it, gaming is it's for everybody, right? And as somebody gets in and, and they find their way, it's like oh my gosh how do I find this thing or how do I meet this person or find this distributor or whatever? And we're like, Oh yeah, it's these five guys. You should just go meet them. And it's like a no brainer, but you're like, Oh, you're brand new. You don't know how to do that. Cool. Let's go meet them and just go do that. So it's uh it's fun to do that. Right? Yeah. So, you, I mean, you, you, you've helped so many people in so many ways. It's, it's, I really can't overstate, you know, how fundamental you've been in so many ways for the, the, the independent miniatures game scene in particular in the last 10 years. I guess what you've done is really cool. You've done it just for the, for the joy of doing it. You know what? It's uh, it's it, the joy of doing it is definitely a good call, right? It's like with from Kingdom Con where it was just running a con to get my friends together, or the tabletop games jobs group, which was literally just me. I used to track a, a Excel sheet with all of that, and then Jessica uh, Fisher from um, from uh, Gameosity. She's like, "Hey, let's do this thing," and then we were in that group there, and that's been a really cool thing too. And I'm like, I'm happy to to help out where I can, you know. So it's it's fun. Gaming is great. Everybody should be in it somehow, whether it's paid or a hobby or free time or whatever. So um, I'm, I'm glad I can be, be a, a resource when I can. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you've worked at numerous companies at this point, so we can talk a little bit about that later. But um, I'm curious, how did, how did you get into miniatures gaming in the first place? Like, what was what was your I conversion love moment? I love this story. Good question. So uh, th- there's a couple of them, right? So we, I really found miniatures gaming in high school. Um, my 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 core friend group who we still play miniature games today, which is great. Um, we all started playing Warhammer because we went over to our buddy Brad's house and Dustin and RC and Sonobu were all playing Warhammer and we walked down into his basement and his, his basement was like an apartment. His parents really kind of revved it up and it was, it was a nice gaming, it was a nice game, game space. And uh, so they were playing, must have been third edition 40K at that point in time. Um, and they had Eldar in Space Marines that were like half panty. were playing on like a, on like a poker table, uh, that had some, you know, felt stuff down and those sure. paper plates flipped upside down, right. And some soda cans for, for terrain and, and that the palm tree and rocks terrain that came in that one starter box. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, which that stuff is still pretty solid. <laughs> it's cool. Right. Like it's yeah. got its place. It really does. So we kind of got our start there and we're and started playing. I my first thing I ever bought was a codex for Chaos Space Marines. Um, and then a box of Orc Boys for fantasy. And we started reading our codexes and building our armies as we were like going to band trips and stuff like that. And that was kind of my big jump into Warhammer. And I painted up a whole 40k army of Chaos Space Marines with Tester's red car paint. Hell yeah. Um, and the cool thing is, like, I found that whole army the other day. It's over in my in my in my uh, parents' garage, and I was looking at it, and I was like, you know what? These could just be rebased with the new base sizes, and they wouldn't be too bad. Awesome. 
because like it's car paint like for the model stuff so it it's shiny and weird but like obviously be like oh, it's, it's a little messed up but it's fun it's gonna last forever right 100 percent. yeah, yeah. So, like, <laughs> so that was our that was kind of our start there and then kind of my more play into the larger scene was we found uh privateer press at san diego comic-con um and they were it was they were next to the to the games workshop booth and there was a guy there that ended up being a the guy that introduced me to the SCA, uh, but he was just hanging out and he was taking a photo of himself kicking a space marine in the balls, uh, <laughs> and we're like, "Yo, what are you doing that for? Warhammer's awesome." And he's like, "No, you got to go over and check this other game out." So he walked us over and introduced us to to War Machine, literally like the next booth over. Wow! And and uh, we got a demo on. Remember that crane demo board? that had the mine shaft and the crane. For yeah, Warhammer. yeah, I do. Yeah. So we got the demo, uh, the Signar and Manoth battle box from Jason. Um, and that was our first demo for War Machine. And our game group was the four of us. So we all bought a different faction. Man, you're, you're giving me such nostalgia right now. I know, right? right? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, so we bought, the, we, we like did the classic thing of we bought the starter box. Yeah. And then the next week went to the game store and, and did, did like, you do the whole like I'm gonna get Kate or you're gonna get Menoth or yep. what you oh, yeah yeah, that's, oh, yeah, the best, yeah. That, that's that's the best part of almost any gaming experience is when you and your buddies figure out what factions you're gonna get at the same time well, and it, and it all like made sense like they were describing which of the factions were in like our buddy Sonabu who played like Eldar and Dark Eldar stuff and was big into anime he's like oh I'm playing Crix we're like of yeah course. of course you're playing Crix right and then Mike our buddy Mike whose dad built Napoleonics and uh, model boat he's like i'm playing kador and we're like yep that's definitely your faction and then john <laughs> was like the zealous tyranid player and he's like well i'm playing menoth and we're like yes yes you are and i'm like oh striker i can get on board with this right like so that's like awesome. how it was you know and then we ended up playing uh going to the game store the next week as a group and it was right when i think apotheosis was coming out right or sure um right in that kind of time period like superiority was almost there and we bought a bunch of books and started playing in a, in a monthly tournament. And I'm, I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but then like a couple of years went by essentially and our press ganger ended up leaving. And so then my buddies uh, went off to college up in LA. So they did Irvine and Riverside and I was still down in San Diego. And I'm like, well, I want to see my friends on the regular. What do I do? So I became a press ganger so I could run tournaments and that was when we started running. I started running tournaments at like GMI and uh, Game Empire in LA and then Vegas to kind of keep our whole group together. Yeah. And that was kind of my larger jump into, uh, you know, doing that and kind of getting involved in the scene. So. Yeah. yeah. So you were pressing probably, probably at the same time I was pressing in like 2006, 2007, somewhere around there, maybe? That was when I got my start. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I, so I, I started press gaming like my first year of college. So I guess 2007 must have been my first year doing that. Yeah, it was, that was, was I, I, I got in, I found War Machine at the at the beginning of 2006 and I was press ganging in 2007 right when Hordes was coming out. That's perfect. Yeah, yeah. Because I remember, because Hordes launched and it, <laughs> and it got the origins of Wards, which then those statues ended up becoming the broken castle of the keys terrain. They sure did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. It, it, and that was kind of when I formed uh, my gaming club too, the SoCal Beach Thralls. And oh, I remember our, the Beach Thralls. Yeah. Yeah. We had our Mechanic Thrall with the surfboard. That's right. And uh, and all of that, which, I mean, just recently we had a, I say recently, but like March, you know, but what what is time? Um, sure. And we all got together in kind of like what you did a couple weekends ago, but we all got together at an Airbnb. And did a whole miniatures game, uh, gaming weekend. But I got uh, Brian Dugas sculpted up a Beach Thrall miniature. Oh, yeah. So that was super cool. Uh, kind of a fun time warp on that. But uh, yeah, I mean, that was, yeah. So, like, and then 2008 was my first TempleCon. TempleCon. Um, right? And yeah, like, oh, I'm, oh, uh, rest in peace. 100%. Good job on that show. And like that was kind of what I came back that first year and was inspired. I'm like, I can do this. I want to run a convention. And literally, I think six months later, I signed up with the hotel to run KingdomCon. Wow. So, yeah, I started that when I was 19. So. Oh, my God, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Yes. 
I, we probably met first met at Temp- Temple Con would be my guess. I don't, think I, I don't. I didn't go to Comic Con with, with Privateer until 2010, maybe. I'm certain. Wow. I'm certain that Temple Con was the first time we met. Yeah. Um, that whole trip was was crazy because on my flight over, my connection in Chicago, I ran into Biggie and Kevin. Um, who I had only met online and saw through photos of them on the blog. Sure. And I was at the airport and I was like, oh my gosh, they're wearing a private. Kevin had his like white private press shirt with the black symbol on the middle. Uh-huh. Right, the, the old school baseball tee. And I was like, oh, hey, I'm going to TempleCon. And they're like, great, sit with us. So then I, I sat with them on the plane and we landed there and I hadn't looked up even how to, uh, how to get there. I was like, oh yeah, I'll just call a shuttle and do whatever. Oh God, and that's right. You were wearing shorts in February I was wearing in Rhode Island. Flip-flops. That's right. <laughs> yeah, right. And there's that whole story, right? So uh, I was wearing shorts and flip-flops and a sweatshirt, my private press hoodie. And Hugh you Brown. You got ready for the cold, right? That, yeah. 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 Right, whatever. We're going we're gonna to go to the hotel. What, why should I be concerned about putting on shoes? Oh right. God. And uh, we're waiting for Hugh Brown to pick Biggie and Kevin up. And I was just going to jump in the van with them. And it must have been 20 minutes. And like a blizzard had just hit, right? So there I am. Yeah, like, I remember I was there. Yeah. So, oh, good times. It's amazing you lived. I, I, I should have died. <laughs> it was it was cold. There there were icicles forming on the hood of my hoodie. Yeah. Right. Like, and I, I remember that so much. Like, I was like, I'm, I'm, what am I doing? I'm an idiot. And then, but the thing is, like, two days into the convention, I'm like, oh, I'm so smart. I, I it's so hot in here, and here I am with shorts and flip flops. Like, I'm the smartest guy ever. But uh, <laughs> I almost died on the way in though. So. Ugh. Wow. Yeah. That, that was what. That was two thousand. Nine? Nine. 2010? Yeah. yeah, nine. Wow. Yeah, that was my first, that was my second tumble, because I, I had gone once um, once or twice when I was still living in the Northeast, but man, I missed that show. It, it There was something about the year kicking off with TempleCon that really kind of set it off right, you know? Yeah. It, it just was, it was a good way to do that, and it kind of heralded, it's it's funny, because like, like, you look at all the shows, right? Like, like even after TempleCon, it was like, okay, so you're going to go to AdeptaCon, you're going to go to... Anime Expo, you're going to go to Origins, you're going to go to Gen Con. So like, and then now there's a handful of small, like, you know, RPG shows and stuff like that. But just everybody went to TubbleCon. We showed up, we played some games, we did some stuff, bought some of the new things, called it, like, it was just a good gaming weekend. Yeah, you know, I have a great time at many conventions, right? You know, there's, there's no yeah. better miniatures gaming show than Adepticon. You know, Gen Con is, you know, its own beast. You know, there's, there's, Right, I got nothing bad to say about any convention, but man, TempleCon is like the bar I set for like how much fun I'm going to have at a convention. Hundred um, percent. Like it was, it was really, it was, it was a party with some gaming. Yep. Oh yeah, and and that was try to I was kind of how I modeled KingdomCon after too. That was like, look, they are just getting all these clubs together to have a good time at a hotel. We're getting all the major tournaments, doing some stuff, and then hanging out with friends. And it's friends seeing friends, right? And and it was still back when forums were a thing. Yeah. Right? Because, like, everybody knew each other from the forums. So we all called each other by our forum names because we didn't know who was who. Yeah, right? for sure. Like, so, like my, like, my first time meeting Devil Squid was literally at TempleCon, and I didn't realize he was just, like, giant ice giant, right? So, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, there, there, are, there are many people from the private press forums that I still think of primarily by their forums names. Oh, yeah, Faulty. Yeah, right? Faulty, like, of course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was just talking to, talking to Andrew today, but like in my head, I'm like, oh, it's a faulty, right? Like we're all good to go. And it's, it, Jan's still devil squid, you know, even though I say Jan first, but it's just, it's some of those people where it's just like, oh yeah, that's your forum name. Yeah. You know? and, it's, it, and it's, but with so many, geek, I, I do, I do SCA. So everybody has their SCA name, right? And you have your, you know, your, your war name from Wasteland or whatever and stuff like that. So it's, there's something about forums in that name and identity that we're, you don't have on Facebook. Yeah, it, it, it engendered a sort of very specific kind of community too, um, and I, I miss it in a lot of ways. You know, I, I think uh, I, I miss I miss the era of forums as a principal community hub. Um, I, I don't think Facebook has replaced them in a way that was necessarily better. It does some things more efficiently for sure, but um, I, I, I miss those old forums communities. Oh, we, we could have a podcast on literally just that statement, right? <laughs> like, sure, because like, because Facebook 
is the problem is cool. You're going to go look at your one group. You're going to go look at your one thing, but then you're bombarded with literally everything else. Yeah. Right. And then chats open and all these things. So you're going to be distracted for five seconds. Where well, phone, and also it doesn't save um, topics. Oh yeah. It, it's, and it just flows and flows. So you got to go search for that thing you were following or hopefully your notifications yeah. get it up. But like a forums, you're like, I'm going to go to the Signar section and I'm going to go look at the painting. And I am here for that. That is my screen. Right. So yeah. Yeah, that's just eh, good times. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> back in the day before the Facebook ruined the internet. Oh yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, no, T- Temple Comet was fantastic. Um, you know, I had many many years there, um, and so you were you were press ganging at that point, right? Or yeah, so I was a press ganger, and um, that was how I got to meet like Stubbs and a lot of those guys too. Was I, I would volunteer for the overnight shifts, and oh sure. Know, and a lot of the Midnight Madness stuff, because I was like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to sleep. It's a con. I can power through, right? And, uh, yeah, so I was press gigging, uh, doing TempleCon for that show. And then that was pretty much how I met Privateer Press people was I worked almost every show Privateer had at the time because I was doing uh, college virtually. So I was hitting up Comic-Con and Gen Con and Origins and then I get the, the Invitational too, but like I was working in packs. Oh my gosh, in packs, right? And that I was my press gang stuff was 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 doing that, and then coming back and running a tournament. At, at peak, we had a thirty-person league at Game Empire every Monday for War Machine, and we were running a tournament at a store all over the Southwest every month. And we must have had that for like straight for like three years, right? So we'd go to LA. Irvine, Orange County had a, had a shop, no problem. We were going up to Vegas probably once every four or five months and then going to Arizona for a few shows out there with like RinCon and then a couple stores and making the rounds. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you were practically working for us at that point. Well, I mean, I, without, without the quote Biggie, like before he got sniped up by, uh, by Pokemon, I'm pretty sure there were talks about having regional press gangers that were like managing those areas, right? Yeah, I think I do recall something about that. Because that would have been the next step for any kind of larger volunteer program because one person can't do all that. So if you've got your heads in each region that are overseeing it, then then you can kind of delegate some of that out and then really build some smarter communities because you can do more of those store challenges and more of that like focused OP. Hey, the Southwest loves uh, themed campaigns while Michigan and those guys love, you know, steamroller tournaments. So we're going right. to and do all that. So it's, it's funny how like I'm, I'm, I've been thinking about organized play a lot lately and like how that was a big driver for stores and for leagues and conventions. And with COVID, right. It's kind of made it this, you don't want to go to stores, but you want to, but you know, now with Delta rolling in, it kind yeah, of, sure. it's gross, but Organized play is definitely fallen back onto the community and your clubs to make it happen, right? Hey, we're going to run right. a four weekly. We're going to do a thinking you know, all of that. But what would it take to? Here's my my publisher brain, right? Is like, what would it take to get that back up and rolling? To not pull it out of the convention scene, but how do you reinvigorate that retailer store for miniature games? Right, card games obviously have have it covered, but you know, we're not playing Warhammer at the store. Why is that? Right. So it's kind of just an interesting discussion, right? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like maybe they are like, you know, there's Path to Glory has been driving stores. Like, you know, I'm playing a little Path to Glory out of my local game shop. Um, oh, good. You know, masks and everything, right? But I, I feel like, I feel like Games Workshop has answered it with Path to Glory and um, Crusade, the 40K version, where, you know, I think those are, they're, they're great because, you know, they're, they're campaigns that don't, that they're all self driven ultimately. You know, you don't need anybody to, to, to GM it and organize it. You have your, you, you just track your own progress. And if you're cheating, that's your problem. But, um, oh, cool. I just got to go do it then, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting. You know, it's, you, you have a roster and everything, but you know, you can, you can literally any game you play with that army using the rules for your own car, your, your own army creation will count for your own path to glory, you know, or, or uh, crusade, uh, needs. That's awesome. Cool. Look at that. I got to do a deeper dive on it then. Yeah. You'll dig it. I think it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty cool stuff. But uh, before we, we divulge into game dev here, uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, so eventually you, you actually you actually did end up working for Privateer. Um, as yeah. I recall, your your first day was at San Diego Comic Con. 
Yes, my first day was at Comic Con. Oh my! Oh, we're gonna. Oh, are we gonna go into that story? I wasn't gonna tell the story. I was gonna. I was gonna move on, but you know, I feel like you brought it up, so maybe you need to now. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Uh, yeah. So my first day was at uh, Comic, and that was a really cool thing too, because I just just working at Private Press, like there was a point where I realized that I could work there, and I didn't realize that when I was volunteering. Like I was still, oh cool, I, I can get a job doing something. I'll figure it out because I was still in college, kind of. And then it was sure, like, sure. oh, I could work at a game company. And then it was like, oh, okay, cool. I need to go do that now, right? And uh, I was in the running for the convention job, uh, which thank God I didn't get. Um, bullet dodged there, and then ended up getting the retailer job. And my first day was during Comic Con, and I hadn't been back in like three months, right? So I'd been up in Seattle yeah. for a while. And uh, I came back down, and it was back when you could still buy tickets to get into Comic-Con. Yeah, that was a possible thing, right? Like, right. Yeah. yeah, which is even insane to even, like, you mentioned that, and it's like, oh, back when Conan roamed yeah. the earth, right? It's like, it was only like, I guess now it's like 12 years ago, but, um, you know, it, it, that Twilight ruined it. And I don't I don't mean it as in, like, like the movie, just, like, the fandom. Yeah, sure. Get into Hall H, and so that's, that's what started that huge flood. In the Hall H lines was Twilight, which is so funny to think about. Um, but yeah, and that was the year we had it. We had a thirty. We had a thirty-person tournament the year before for War Machine, and then the next year was two because no one could get tickets. That's right. Yeah. That, yeah. That was insane. Um, yeah. So I, I had a, I had a bunch of friends show up, right, and uh, they were really excited to see me. And I went on a lunch break, and Matt was still there. And uh, he was like, why, why is everybody coming to see Ross? What's up with this? So that ended up being a, a fun, <laughs> that whole that whole con season. So I could, huh, that's funny. That was that Gen Con too, yeah. where the, the war store kept sending people over to go talk to me uh, just to screw with the booth. And Sherry had to put me on the other side of the booth because there was a line forming because private the Worcester was sending a person over like every third person to go talk to me for no reason. <laughs> and, it was just, and it was just flooding the booth. Um, oh, that was, that was, that was funny too, because that was the year that the vampire had the bar next. Oh, to that year. That was their, their last year at Gen Con as well. Yeah. As I recall. Yeah. They got in big trouble. Well, they, they were promoting the hotel event they were doing. And they had the bar, but it wasn't a bar. So they weren't handing out drinks, but they definitely were. Oh, I know, because I definitely drank a bunch of them. Yeah, yeah, me too. They were they were next to us too. Yeah, right next to us. Yeah. 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 Oh my god. The cops yeah. showed up like five or six times. Yeah. Uh, and their booth was too high. That's right. They had that enormous like edifice with like like speakers yeah. and stuff. Mm -hmm. Oh man, it was it was a it was a disaster, but very funny to watch. No, oh, well, and they had the not booth babes, right? So, right. Yeah. Um, and funny enough, that was the same year that Super Dungeon Explorer launched at Gen Con. Oh, yeah, because that, that was sort of your next move in the industry, wasn't it? That was my next move. Yeah, yeah. So that was the year that uh, those guys were at CMON, or it was, it was still cool when you're not. And they ended up having metal miniatures that year because that was all they could get done. And that was done by Valiant. Um, and they had those guys do that up, um, which is funny to think about because literally – Kumani cool or not ended up uh, doing that launch for Super Dungeon Explorer, and if they had just waited six months, it would have been a Kickstarter. But that was, it wasn't a thing yet. Yeah, that was that was it was that was just on the horizon, wasn't it? Yeah. So because that right after that was when um, Fundu Eleven did the Miskatonic School for Girls Kickstarter, and that was the first big one, and they raised thirty five thousand dollars, and everyone was like, "Whoa, oh my God, thirty five thousand dollars on a Kickstarter!" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, and I, I think, I think their previous one before that was the Andy Chambers Flame War game that raised like eleven thousand. I have a copy of that actually. Somebody gave me, yeah, me that too. as a gift. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, man, we're going down nostalgia road. Yeah, <laughs> just talk about old crap. That's so funny. Yeah, right so on. that was yeah. So essentially, like I was a privateer, and then it wasn't it wasn't the best fit. So then I ended up uh, going to on my drive. Funny, funny enough. On my drive down back to San Diego, uh, I got home and I posted up on Facebook, back in San Diego, still haven't unpacked the car. And I got a call from a game company that wasn't cool when you're not, it was a different one. And they were like, hey, don't even bother unpacking. We'll offer you a job. Come drive to Texas. 
in yeah. like, and I turned him down because I didn't want to go move to Texas. Sure, uh, but uh, that that could have been a different life if I just said sure. Wow. So yeah, I know. And uh, I ended up uh, doing freelance for a for a few months, and then working for Cool Money or Not uh, before they were Simon. Um, and that's just I, I look back at that and I was like, oh man, what a wild west it was then. Right. Yeah, so, so were you there for some of those first big Kickstarters? I ran the first three. That's right. You did. Like, didn't I, you? I, I literally pressed go on Zombicide, man. Wow. Like we did that at Adepticon. And then I ended up staying up for like three days straight, like on Red Bull. And Dave Dallas was like <laughs> Red Bull and pizza as we ran Zombicide demos the whole time. And that was where I came up with one of the best rules for Zombicide, mainly because I was tired, uh, but it made for the best demo experience. Um, so. It was where, because in Zombicide, if you're on the same, if you're on a space and you shoot your gun, you make sound, right? And the zombies come follow you for the sound. And so I'd run over through the demo and be like, hey, I have a really cool idea for a hardcore demo. And like, oh, it's that. I'm like, okay, you can talk to each other on the same space and, and you won't make a sound. If you're one space away from each other, you'll put a sound in the middle of your squares. And then if one person is talking but you're two squares away you can't hear them at all in game and only the person talking makes sound and essentially yeah yeah so it kind of got the quarterbacking right um but the best thing was i'd explain it and then all i had to do for the demo was just sit there and put sound tokens down as they talked and uh, that's a great (laughs) idea yeah (laughs) so yeah that was yeah we were yeah and that was back when they had mcveigh and they were doing the the paint line and they had just picked up the fantasy miniatures, uh, like the Warhammer Fantasy Battles line of those European guys. Um, and this guy called Adam Poots was uh, doing these off, uh, one-off releases for SKUs uh-huh. through the Kumani or Not store. Um, and he had an idea for a game, but no one really wanted to talk to him about it. So they just wanted to sell the miniatures. That was it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So good, good, good for him. Sticking to his guys. Yeah. <laughs> sure that, that worked out pretty okay for him huh mm-hmm. just a little bit so that that is of course kingdom death's creator we're talking about right now if you're not familiar yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. adam just rocked it out of there but yeah but that was back when they were selling the minis for like 25 bucks a peep in the cardboard boxes and he was individually signing in a wax sealing the box closed right so ah just a cool thing yeah that was it was literally still so i was like trying to sell Dark Age and using Super Dungeon Explorer is like, a, you can get so much Dark Age if you buy Super Dungeon and do all those things. And uh-huh. God, what a what a different age. Yeah, and then I, I, th- I think the last one I worked on for them was Sedition Wars. Oh, wow. So I, that was so a minute ago too, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah I, totally I, right. I, I feel so old having this conversation. I know, <laughs> I know. It's, 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 it's neat. It's not right. I thought that the night was going to go, but I'm loving it, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, it ended up being, it was, it was, uh, and after session wars, I ended up leaving, um, and but then that was that was it. And uh, it's kind of funny because like you, you look back at all that stuff, and Guillotine Games was the guys that were doing Zombicide, and they really did it the right way. And they're like, cool, we're just going to make more of this. It works, right? And that ended up becoming the staple for 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 Kumani. Um, but it was good. Yeah, so I mean, what, like, it, it what, was. It what was, was it like being you know kind of b- b- behind the wheel on those first really big you know industry changing get kickstarters? Well, it was so like because there were there were the there were the Davids right, and there was Peretti, and there was Dallas, and there was Churn, and those are smart guys, right? Like uh, anything aside of that, they know how to make money, sure. You know, and uh, just kind of figuring out it was that early time of figuring out okay, what's the stretch goal? What's the right. math of an what's the math of an add on, right? Like how much can we push to make somebody want to pay for it? And there were some of those first ones where we we're kind of pushing the line where is someone going to pay another five, 10 bucks for this or not, or is 25 too much or that go into it with an add on and everything. And uh, I think that really helped them like obviously line it up and figure it out. Cause now they have the formula figured out. Right. Yeah. I mean, but, but it was the wild west back then. right? A hundred percent was, you know, like the first and, time my board game did a million dollars in Kickstarter. Everybody was just like, what the, f- oh, like, yeah. Yeah. Well, and that was the cool thing too. Like it's always funny now because like when you see movies and they, when it crosses the line, and they'll always do a little graphic where it was like, oh, Avengers beat Titanic and Avatar and whatever, right? And all that stuff like that. We were, we would do the same thing because it was still small numbers. It was like a, a million, a million and a half. 
And so it get passed around between like Ogre and Zombicide. And there was another company that had one too. And uh, I think Mantic had one for a bit, right? And, yeah, maybe. All the, and all the stretch goals were kind of tributes to whatever they made on that last one. If, if we passed it, oh, we're going to do that and do a whole thing. And Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, it was... It was wild, and I, I I can remember the the marketing plan behind it. Right, it's like cool. We're going to share it on Facebook. We're going to do this thing. You're going to share it to tabletopgamingnews.com. You're going to put it on Daka Daka. You're going to go on this thing here, and then you're going to get on this podcast, and then do this. And uh, I it's it was simpler then, right? Like it was yeah. you could just you could just post it on Facebook, sponsor the post, and everyone's going to see it. Right, because a so, sponsored post on Facebook actually did anything back. No, then. It, it did stuff back yeah. then, right? And so. <laughs> Essentially, you could do that kind of campaign with like five grand, you know. Yeah, and, sure. And you and, were and get big results it. for it too, right? Oh, huge results, right? Because yeah. you're just going to figure out what's going. A beast of war was one of the biggest influencers back then, right? Um, so that was just kind of crazy to think about how much power because they had they had that pay for structure back before that was that was a, that was a thing, you know. So you got on their channel and did their stuff, and that was all mm-hmm. your build up, and then get launched, and you're good to go, and it's, you know, like obviously we're looking at campaigns now and there's the, the tabletop industry in general is ready to buy, right? So, and there's, mm-hmm. like, you know, 10 million campaigns coming out every Tuesday that are all going to fund. Right? I, I, so. I, I remember back in like 2012 or so, there, there was a lot of conversation. We were doing Kickstarters at Private Tier Press. We were doing our first ones at the time. There was a lot of conversation like, I don't know, do you, you know, there, there's, Simon's got a big one coming out this month. Can we launch ours? Should we wait? Is the market going to – are people going to buy all these? I bet they won't. I bet there's a limit to how many kickstarts people will buy. The answer is no. There's no limit. No. For all the questions, everybody, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, there's a major pandemic going on last spring. Did did kickstarters slow down? No. Like, everybody just – It's it's, it's, it's wild. Uh, There was uh, Kingdom Death – Frosthaven was the one that that broke the record. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, what's their average average thing going to be? And it's like, oh, oh, we're we're all wrong. Yeah, <laughs> like, so right. Like I'm pretty sure Avatar: The Last Airbender is still up right now, and they're what they're at four or five k right now. For some, some some huge amount, yeah. Which, by the way, I would love to see. And here we go, right? Which fandom is bigger, Avatar: The Last Airbender World or Lord of the Rings? Oh, that's hard to say. Right, and I, I, I feel like, like I feel like there are more Lord of the Rings fans out there. But I don't know if they all count as being part of the fandom, right? Like, there's there's a distinction there, I think, to some degree, right? Like, see, seeing the movies versus like can name the characters, right? Yeah, but also, also there are people who you know, there, there's there's some guy in you know Zimbabwe who hasn't seen the movie but has read the book. Oh, so that, that's a good point. So I so there, there's the book fans, and I probably didn't include Lord of the Rings. Probably beats on that base then right because right, but, but, here's, but it's an interesting point like is is somebody who just enjoys the books are they part of the fandom do you have to be participating in fandom to be part of it no oh, doom that that's a phd right there right like yeah like, somebody could write a paper probably yeah uh but it's just kind of interesting because like I, having worked with that license at idw and then at the op you know um it's kind of neat to see oh how's the last airbender going to do but it's that Netflix phenomenon, right? Because the minute something's on Netflix, we all see it, whether we talk about it or not. You know, someone will do like a some kind of subtweet about a movie they've watched, and we go, "Oh, that's a new. It's a new movie in the rotation, so we're going to talk about it now, right?" And when Avatar: The Last Airbender came back up for uh, for watching, my parents watched it. C- conservative dentists watched Avatar: The Last Airbender and couldn't wait to binge through Korra, right? And for me, that's like mind blowing. You know, so, uh, yeah, no, for real. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yes. And then you, you've, you've been to some other places in the industry since then. Um, yeah. You know, so, uh, after, after Simon, uh, I went over to Ninja division and I, and I was their first employee. Right. So we got to do all the super dungeon stuff and, uh, relic, relic nights and, uh, kind of there. I left right before, uh, their big downfall uh, with all the Kickstarter stuff. Um, and I, and I, I feel for those guys so hard. Um, but I mean, you, you kind of get stuck in that campaign paying for the next campaign 
And when you get trapped in that, it's a it's a vicious cycle. Yeah, you know, it's like a Ponzi scheme, essentially, right? Totally, like, and and you don't even intend to do that. You just yeah, sure. Get... It's just it's just what happens. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so I was there for a good time, and and good guys. I, I had a great time doing that. I I look back on my twenties, and I'm like, man, I spent my twenties going to gaming cons, working for cool companies. You know, like awesome. Um, and yes, yeah, so I was there for a while, and then left, and ended up at the op for the first time. They were so what, what, is, what is the op for those of us who maybe yeah, so, don't know? Uh, so, so I was at USAopoly and in, in the op, or in, and still am, right? And so uh, they are a any licensed Monopoly game that's not made by Hasbro is made by USAopoly, right? So they've been around for 25 years, and they are the licensed co-brand company. So if there's a licensed Munchkin or a uh, any Clue or Yahtzee or any of those things, Telestrations, big party games, puzzles, that's the op, right? So they do... Sure about 125 products a year uh, across the board from Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, uh, The Thing, Friday the 13th, Hocus Pocus, Golden Girls, sure. you know, uh, you name it. So, uh, and when I got <clears throat> picked up by them, they were still the party game company, the Monopoly company, and they were still in the family section at Gen Con, right? Like, like that's, yeah, where yeah. Their, that's where their booth was. And I got brought on because I was a local, which is cool. And they were just getting ready to launch Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle, which was their uh, their first hobby game, like the, their first true hobby game. Um, and we ended up bringing it to Gen Con. And that was the first time I'd ever been in the booth that was the minute the halls opened, it became Mad Max. Um, we got flooded. We got flooded so hard. Yeah. Like, they, they, like people tried to sue us because they tripped on the way to our booth and had to go to the ER. Wow. Like, and then Gen Con had to cover for us, right? We had to, we had to forward Gen Con the email and they were like, yeah, we got this. Don't worry about it. And I'm just like, that's a thing we had to do, right? Like, so we got, because we, we, we did the classic, you know, air flight in 200 copies because it's going to be available in the fall. So you don't have copies for Gen Con yet. So we did 50 copies each day, but we had to figure out a whole ticket system and we had to go and buy stanchions because we didn't have any. We had to change our whole demo system to sign up yeah, yeah. and do all that. Uh, and we had to because because we were getting flooded. And the best thing we did, because back, it was back when Harry Potter was cool, right, um, was we gave a copy to Board Game Geek and to Dice Tower on that Wednesday. And they were playing cop, and they were playing, and we were just tweeting about it, saying, oh, my gosh, this is the next hottest game. Everybody's got to pick it up. And that's what drove everybody to our booth. Um, and that was insane. So... Uh, for for them, that was their first year where they were like, "Oh my gosh, we got to make hobby games." <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, oh. you know, and and that was when and it was cool. Was it was a deck building game that had like seven games in one, so you played through each movie, and it wasn't legacy. You could just plug it in and do all that. Yeah. But what, what was nice was it was a quality license game, right? Like at that point in time, the only really good license game I could think of was like Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Right? Which that was a great game. Like you can still play it now and be like, great game. Yeah. Right. I think and, they're reskinning it actually. Oh, awesome. Cool. I'm in. Right. So, uh, but, but the way the Harry Potter game worked was like, it looked like a luggage thing. It opened up and the board had a, a, a picture of the luggage box deep on it. So it had this cool thing. It was the Marauders map. All the cards felt really good. And it, it was, it was made with love, you know, and then ended up like Cammy Mandel who worked on it and the whole team there, like they, and what's cool about the op is everybody there, loves licenses and they love ips and they love all that and like i, I just watched a marvel 616 documentary uh, today talking about funko and hasbro and how they work with action figures and toys and how people love licenses and i was like oh man like the op has that too where it's you know obviously we work in games and we love games but one of the things you kind of have to do when you're working with licenses is it you kind of you have to have that extra amount of love with it right like you're working on dune right now and like i, I can think of no one better to work on dune thanks man so and and it's just that thing where it's like you want to you live in that world you think about that world all, all the time so you put that extra passion into that game right and you hope the fans will enjoy it too sure and so that's and that's kind of what's cool about the ops so i was there for about a year um and it was good we, we got we got we had a cool bunch of games coming out like marble munchkin and star trek panic and then harry potter hogwarts battle and I ended up getting an opportunity to go to LA um, to go work for White Moon Dreams. And uh, I got to work on, on the War Machine video game. 
uh, after it had been out for a long time. And that was really neat. I think I was the only person to work at both private press and. Oh yeah. He'd be the one, the, the one who walks between worlds. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, totally. Uh, and, uh, I will say it definitely felt like that, you know, their artist, uh, one of the main guys, uh, their, like his concept art and his illustrations. I'm like, Oh man, it's so cool seeing like, you know, going from Matt's art up in the, up in Seattle to then going to, to their art down in LA. And I'm like, Oh, it's cool seeing this IP grow and doing all those things there and getting, getting to work with, with Alyssa and everything she's doing. And she's yeah. just fantastic. Yeah. Alyssa's um, great people. Um, yeah. Her and her husband, uh, they are uh, truly passionate and creative and everything they touch is just magical. Um, whether it's Wasteland or, or whatever they do, they're just good people. Their kid is going to become King of the Nerds. I'm sure. Um, so it'll be good stuff. And so working with her was awesome and all the things they're doing is great. Yeah, she was great when I worked with her on um, uh, the Kickstarter for uh, for the for tactics War Machine Tactics way back in the day. She was the what was her job at White Moon Dreams back then? I actually don't remember. She was a producer, producer eventually. Producer stuff, right? Yeah. So um, yeah, so that that was that was really cool. And then I was also working at Geek and Sundry too during that time as well. Yeah. I, was doing a lot of, I was doing a lot of writing for him and a lot of that. And uh, I am very glad I got to do the LA experience as a San yeah. Diegan living in San Diego. It's like, oh, it's L.A. You, you go up to visit and do some stuff like that. Um, I did not plan on doing like the, oh, I'm going to go to L.A. and become famous. I'm just like, I just want to go up here and work on games. Sure. Right. And but at the same time, like there's Riot and there's Blizzard and there's Geek and Sundry. And that was like right when Critical Role was still at Geek and Sundry doing all of yeah, that. Yeah, they were just starting. They were. And there was that like rise in because like tabletop was kind of diminishing. Right. And there was the the other RPG that uh, Chris and Will worked on um, for that show. Mm-hmm. And and then I said, then it kind of came this like Geek and Sundry was this home for like the LA by night, the vampire, the masquerade. Yeah. Game. Yeah. And there was um, clear skies, the star Trek one. And then they were doing some of those horror ones too. And then once they kind of, and then, yeah, Oh man, we are really going down. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Lane's just, just, just name drop everybody here, right? Like, Matt know, Marisha, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's just fun to think about. Like, I, yeah, I, no, it's I, awesome, you know. Like, and it was like we look at it now and we're like, holy shit, these, these are titans in the field, but we all kind of got started the same way, you know. And it's it, hard work, and if you work toward your goals and dreams, people want to consume it, yeah. You I mean, know? I think like, you know, I think part of the big success for Critical Roles is that they are such genuine people, like, you know, I, I. Uh, Matt and Merger, they're, they're just the nicest, most genuine, authentic, you know, gamer nerds. And, you know, they they have a very holly, polished Hollywood, you know, persona because that's what we have to do professionally. But, like, you know, I hung out with Mercia a bunch of Lock and Low when she came to cosplay for us professionally one year. And she's just super cool. Like, we just we just shot the shit and, like, you know, she's she's from some small town. And, you know, she's she's just a real a very real person in a way I didn't necessarily expect her to be. And the same is true of Matt. And I think that that's that's a big part of why they've had so much success because they, people connect to that authenticity. Hundred percent, and 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 they bring that uh, to everything they do. Uh, we we got to do the munchkin sincerity. Program. That's the word for it. Sincerity is a great way to put that, right? And it's it's kind of been neat. I mean, like we could do do a quick jump, but like seeing more people hop into playing role playing games over the last year and playing games on Twitch, it's been neat seeing like who really wants to do it and just like, oh, cool, I'll check it out and do whatever. But it's like. Because Twitch now has that, like anybody can be an actor, right, or do a thing, and all. It's just, it's just neat to kind of see how that all goes down. But yeah, but Critical Role, I, I, they deserve everything they've they've got. They've been, they've been. I mean, I think even tonight they're playing a Elder Scrolls Online one shot, sponsored by Bethesda, right? And it's like that's insane. The fact that we can even say that's a thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, it's just that's just cool. So yeah, so then I ended up uh, being in LA for a bit. And just doing all that, and it ended up not being for me. It was just, uh, I think I, I got consumed by it. Not like in like a bad way, just like, this isn't what I want to be doing, you know? So and, you, you had some kind of like BoJack Horseman moment, is what you're saying. Totally. Yeah, right? It's like, I'm not, I'm not going to get like, you know, do a space opera, uh, drinking whiskey in a pool thing, but uh, God, that show. Um, yeah. But, so I ended up coming back down and uh, I, was, I was at Kingdom. So it, what's funny is the whole time where all this adventure is going on, I'm also running Kingdom Con. That's right. right. Yeah. Like, like, and like every year 
I ran a new company or not every year I ran a new company, Jesus Christ. Uh, but, uh, you know, as, as going through all that, I'm also running Kingdom Con. And that's if you're listening to this and you think you know how much work it is to run a convention, you don't. <laughs> like, unless, unless you've actually done it and been involved you you, you only kind of know it is it is so much work it's like it, that three it's, days of the year is your life nine months out of the year yeah and it's 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 funny because like i had an amazing group of friends that helped out and that have like hey i'm gonna run a convention and there was like no hesitation like that first year i said it and i like back and i'm like you guys are insane like, like we yeah we're <laughs> doing this thing and that and, uh, you know, for every year it grew and grew and grew and we bring more people on and bring more clubs and do more stuff. But, you know, like, like everybody helps out and it's a group effort. But at the end of the day, you know, like, like you're thinking about it and it's all consuming. And you say, you say nine, nine months out of the year, 100 percent. Right. Like yeah. <laughs> the, the, minute, the minute the con is done and you sign the contract for next year, you're like, cool, I'm going to take a month off so my brain can, you know, uh, unplug and the minute you're like okay cool time to start planning you don't unplug until the show is over yep. later you know and oh absolutely i and i think that's kind of why i i ended it, <laughs> it you know? it's, I, I get it man it's 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 a huge endeavor yeah it's it's and i'm like it's funny because it's, it's been like two three years now right but uh kingdom con was a great show um everybody that put their effort and time into it, help create something truly special. And God has been tempting sometimes in those late night thoughts. It's just like, I could bring it back. I could do these things, but <laughs> sometimes it's, it's okay to let things be, Yeah, you know, and Absolutely. Uh, I'm glad we ended it on our, on a 10 year, we ended it on a high, on a high note. And the, and the cool thing was we got to go out on our note. Yeah, you know, because you didn't run into financial trouble or couldn't find a venue, right? Like you got to end the show the way you wanted it to. That, we got that, to end that, the show we wanted to. That's huge. And and then who would have guessed the next year would have been COVID? Yeah, you know. Yep. And I was and I was looking back at our contract that we had because I usually just like upkept it plus adding on some room rates and lowering the price a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but we would have been fucked because yeah, I would have had to wait until the city of San Diego canceled everything yep. in, order to get, in order to get my refund. And that would have been three weeks before. And I mean, this is like tens of thousands of dollars, right? This is not like a small amount of money. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Right. Yeah. It, it, it was a good amount, right? Not an amount you can just shake off. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what I would have done, you know, yeah. and, and, and all the last year here we are watching every show have to cancel or figure it out or, or go virtual or all of those things. And you just think back to it and you're just like, Oh, I, I couldn't. And even now, right. Like here we are 21 and shows are trying to make it happen or not. And you're just wondering at what point are, are they the mayor from jaws? You know? So sure. I mean, and the, the other half of it is I feel like, I feel like it's really easy to rush to judgment and be like, Oh, they should just show the show down and say, they're not doing it this year. But like, as you just pointed out, you can't necessarily do that without being on the hook for tens and tens of thousands of dollars, right? It, unless, yeah. unless your municipality says these are the like that you know you can't have the event, your insurance doesn't cover it, and you're on the hook for all that money. So, like a lot of these shows, they're kind of they're, they're they're unfortunately having having to play chicken. You know, I I know conventions where the staff they want to shut it down, they don't want to do the show, but unless they have unless, unless they wait for the for the city or state or whatever to say you can't have the show, they have to hope for it because they have they have to, they have to just wait out and hope that hope that it happens. And and that's exactly it. And and the funny thing is, like, sure, we just won't have it, and then on you, and then that's it. Like, yeah, it's it, not, it, you never have it again. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so cool. I guess we're not doing it. Uh, go home. Right. So. And it, it, that's insane. And no one wants to, no one wants to have that discussion or that talk. Right. And so like, there's a, a Devacon, they're going to come back 22. And I'm like, great. That looks awesome. Right. Board game geeks and they can figure it out. That's good. Gen Con right now, everybody was on board. And now with Delta, you know, companies are pulling out again. And I'm just like, Oh, I, I feel for them, you know? Yeah. So, but I mean, but, you know, the, the, the show has to go on or it never goes on again. Right. Like, oh, yeah. you know, I mean, I suppose, you know, I suppose if Gen Con fell apart, they would declare bankruptcy and somebody else would buy the name and Gen Con will be back in a couple of years or whatever. But like, I mean, that that's the decision you have to make. And, you yeah. know, I, my, my, my personally, I'm like, I don't think some of these big shows should be happening. You know, I, I'm not going to go to Gen Con this year. I'm not, I'm not going to any right. big events for a minute. Um, 
but uh, I understand why some of these shows haven't just shut down. And I think it's really easy for people to get really righteous and be like, I can't believe that they're still having this convention. They don't want to have the convention nine times out of ten. No, they, I, they, I, they, they just have no choice. And that's exactly it, right? Because it's like, cool, uh, I, I want us to go and have a great time and play games and do all this stuff. But now we've got to add the stress of putting on a mask and worrying who's vaccinated and do all these things. No one enjoys that. There's no relishing in having this power over who's vaccinated or not. Like, like this should be trivial. Get your vaccination, wear a damn mask, let's get through it, and so we can play games. Yeah, right? Like, absolutely. But, but we don't get to have that luxury because of society we live in and everything there. Oh, we, God, we, we can go into all that. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's just crazy. And in, in now we're looking at boosters and doing all these things. And because, like, I literally did this kind of a meeting because we're planning for our SCA uh, Western War. Uh, in October in Bakersfield and we're going to have it outside and we're going to be camping and it's going to be like a 2000 person event, you know, and we're going to do it. Sure. So, Well, outdoors changes the equation in a big way. It does. Right. But, um, yeah. but yeah, you know, I think for me, the, the, the really short message here is that, you know, if, if you want to go back to being able to go to conventions without wearing masks and all stuff, go get your vaccine. Right. And tell like, your friends like, to do it too. Yeah. Like say, like save the, like the conventions are going to start going under unless they can get back to what business is normal for a convention in the next, you know, 12 months or so. And, if everyone doesn't get their vaccinations, that's just not going to happen. Totally. And though I will say on the flip side, it forced a lot of conventions to have to figure out the digital stuff. Yeah. Right. There has been some cool breakthroughs because of that. And and I don't know if it's, it, I don't know if I want it to always be that way, but it was cool. So on a side note, right. So after I finished Kingdom Con and that ended, um, I was done, we're good to go. Everybody went home. And then a couple of months later, Comic-Con reached out and was like, hey, we want to talk about possibly doing a show or some kind of event. And so we ended up uh, figuring out and doing this big tabletop event. And it was going to be called a D4 Tabletop Creative Conference that I ran with Pat Marino here in San Diego. The D4 stands for uh, Discuss, uh, Design, Develop, and Discover. And it's a tabletop uh, trade show. And so we were going to have it down at the Comic-Con Museum, but then uh, COVID happened. So we couldn't do that. And then we were going to have it again in November of last year because COVID was only going to last like three months. Right. And then it, it didn't obviously. Um, so yeah. that was it. And I was like, cool, we'll have it in 22. No worries. And then uh, we'd apply for some grants and some whole stuff like that. And so in order to get the money, we had to run it by a certain time. And so we ended up uh, doing, uh, putting D4 together in 21 and Comic-Con hit me up at like the middle of February and was like, hey, we, we want to do this show still. C can you do it virtually? And I'm like, yeah, we can do it virtually. They're like, cool. Let's do it by June. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. I, I, I guess we're doing this. Right? So uh, I uh, I got to put together uh, a whole online convention in a, in a span of like two months um, in, in my free time. Right? So we ended up having 30 uh, panels with five speakers each. Uh, 14 special guests, and then 12 hours of live game pitch review um, where people could submit and have their games reviewed by tabletop publishers. Wow. Um, That's cool. It was a huge success, right? Like, it was fantastic. We had ASL interpreters uh, doing stuff on, on the Zoom chats, and it was all recorded. Anybody can go watch it now. Yeah, it's great. On the, it's on the Comic-Con YouTube channel. Yeah, send me a right? link. I'll put it on the, uh, the show notes. Yeah. And uh, that was cool. It was kind of fun to put a con together again. But even then, like, as you were saying, like, at least I wasn't thinking about that, like, year round. It was literally just a kind of getting together for two months. Yeah. But it was a blitz, though. I'll bet. I'll bet. <laughs> and, and, and then working with Comic-Con, because they have a whole other system on. And now, I will say, they are efficient. And they have oh, a I'll bet. team and resources and all of this stuff. And I'm sitting in these meetings like, oh, yeah, I'm doing this, this, and this. And they're like, cool, we're doing all of these things. And I'm like, oh, this is, oh. <laughs> this is, this is neat, right? So, uh, yeah. So I, I know they're looking forward to when they can go back to, to shows again because San Diego yeah. can use it. But, yeah, so that, yeah. that was pretty fun. So, cool. so we've been talking a lot about business, but I'm curious, what, do you, what, do you, what miniatures are you painting these days and what are you painting oh, with? Cool. So um, during the pandemic, I painted an army and a half. So I painted my full Stormcast army. Nice. Uh, which was great. Um, super cool. And then I ended up painting about uh, about half of my 40K Space Marines. Uh, and they're getting painted up like Size of the Emperor. 
So oh, I got cool. To- oh, yeah, yeah, you're doing that cool logo and everything, right? Oh, yeah, it's freaking 3D printing, man. You yeah. go and find this size that are made for shoulder pads and got a bunch of those printed up and ordered some cool power size off Forge World. Uh, and I got about probably 1,500 points of that put together. And then we had our big game day, and then I played that. And then I haven't touched uh, a brush on those guys in a while. Um, but I've been painting up um, a lot of small fantasy stuff right now. Yeah. And I'm and I'm really just kind of like going through my miniature box and just painting up some of the things there. I'm not really painting for an army. I'm getting just whatever a big, seems cool. Yeah, whatever seems cool. Um, I, I got the Curse City box, and I didn't open it uh, – because I got burned out on all the, there was the hype and then it wasn't cool and then all of that, which I hate the online discourse kind of soured my fun of wanting to play an interest game. Sure. Um, but it, it did. And, but right now my, my, my bug that I have is I'm looking at this Warcry Underworlds box behind me, right? Yeah. And uh, Catacombs box. And that's probably what oh, I'm going to cool. pick it. I'm probably going to build that next. Cause you've seen a lot of cool stuff with some OSL and some fire. Yeah. Stuff that'll be a fun set. So yeah, that's what I'm doing. Uh, uh, brush wise, I think I used to use the GW brushes right now, but I have the Squidmar brushes. Um, yeah, they got that cool uh, like um, container they come in, right? That's, that's what's yeah, what I know about and, them. But they're it, it, they're fantastic, and I I just need to pick it up and paint it. They're almost a little intimidating because they're so nice. Yeah. Right. Um, but I think the best way to get it is just, just to pick it up and you do just it. So brush meant to be used. Yep, hundred percent. Right. So I'll be doing that um, on a totally paint nerd moment. Uh, my buddy George and I have been picking up a lot of painting YouTube t-shirts. So uh, the Miniac shirts and the Squidmar shirts, they look like metal album shirts. Oh, cool. I'll check those uh, out. Yeah, they're, they're you would love them. Uh, yeah, I'll I, I, take a look. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were playing some card game, and I look up, and I'm like, oh, that isn't a metal band. That's a Miniac shirt. And it has, <laughs> his, he has his sprue golem on it. It's like got all these sprues, it's like running at you. Oh, it's just it, look, look rad. So Awesome. I'll uh, check that out. Yeah, so it's it's kind of fun because like, right now like if I had to think about like what am I really doing hobby wise, it's like it's watching YouTube videos and I I'm I'm, I'm like that guy on the tabletop inquirer, uh, thing. But um, yeah, <laughs> there, there's there's so many good people right now that are making content. Like Dana Howell is amazing. Yeah, Dana stuff's great. And everything um, with them and there's so many people that are making good content. And I mean we're kind of in this golden age of miniature games right now. Yeah, and, absolutely. And like anybody can make a game and do a thing. And whether you put it up on uh, Patreon or whatever, uh, a big game I bought a lot into and then put like one thing together for and haven't done much with it yet is Warmaster. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So Warmaster Revolution. Uh, just following that community right now. Remember when Blood Bowl was big and everybody was making Blood Bowl miniatures? Yeah, yeah. That's Warmaster right now. Um, but everybody is doing Patreon for it. I've seen and, some of that stuff. It's really cool. I love the scale. Yeah, it's it's a great scale. Uh, Patreon and uh, 3D printing is where that's exploding for that whole community. And uh, Forest Dragon's been licensing a lot of the stuff and releasing it there. Uh, but every week in the Warmaster Facebook group, uh, there's some, oh, look at this. Here's my new Dragon Ogre army. Or here's my... Yeah, I've seen some cool stuff in there too. And it's just like, oh, this is... This is great, right? Because like this is people that have a 3D printer and they want to learn how to sculpt and they're doing this thing. And that's just... You know, that's the Wild West in a really cool way. For so, sure. And if I had to, if I had to throw it and say a game that I really want to play more of that I just have not done more of, it's Relic Blade. Um, Relic Blade is so good. Oh, everything about what Sean's been doing is 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 just chef's kiss. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And we played a game or two of it at our gaming escape weekend a few months ago, and I'm like, cool, I'm gonna get more stuff, and I just haven't. I bought it, but I haven't put it together sure. yet. Just classic miniature game problem, but. Um, I just love following what he's doing, you know, and, and mm-hmm. all of that. So it's, I kind of goes back to the beginning of the podcast, right? We were like, it's, it's cool seeing all these, but the, the indie miniatures gaming scene is really neat because it's not just making a game. You've got to get the miniatures. You have to do the art. You have to build a community around it because we're a board game. Cool. You're going to buy the board game. Everybody's going to play it for a while. You're going to do your thing in order for a miniature game to survive. You have to have that community hold. Right. And you got to have 100%. your core, and you've got to get that going. So what's your brand? What are you doing? How is your painting? What's the play style? What's your campaign? And it's a lifestyle, right? Yeah, and completely. And it's and props to Games Workshop for making 
miniatures games, except they're kind of like the Disney for, for, for miniatures games, right? Like yep. you can go wherever it is, you can buy it and do it up and they're cool. Obviously we have a, you know, we, we could bitch about big corporation stuff all, all day too, but whatever, you know, cause the lore is cool. You can do all this stuff and uh, it's just neat. So I, I, I'm just, it's just a good time to be a gamer. I'm bummer hitting an hour right now because like we could keep talking for a while. Yeah, I, I, could, I could talk all night. But um, that just means we'll have you back on the podcast sometime. That works for me. Yeah, man. Cool, Ross. Well, hopefully I'll see you across the table at a convention before too much longer. That'd be great. Uh, and uh, maybe Adepticon, maybe Jenka. We'll figure out. We'll see what 2022 has to bring. But uh, it's been great talking to you, man. Yeah, you know what? I Thank you for the invite. Um, I love everything you're doing with the Patreon and, and the community and all of that. Um, I, I love seeing all the updates. I've got all my, my red notebooks. I, I, I keep writing stuff in and working on that. Awesome. Um, and, and you're doing a good job for the for the community space and, and props for all getting it together and doing all those things. Um, you're doing good work, man. Thanks, so. dude. I appreciate it. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. Good. The Brush Builders Union is a community of like-minded miniatures gamers dedicated to playing their games fully painted and supporting one another in their craft. Brush Builders Union is here to help you stay on track with tools and a community of fellow painters to encourage you in your journey. Take the Union Pledge and learn more at brushbuildersunion.com. Mm-hmm.